The Titans beat the Vikings 24-16 in week two of the preseason. Malik Willis had a pretty solid game. We're going to talk about his performance and other standout guys, as well as some roster bubble guys who might need to play better in preseason week three. This is the Music City Audible. Let's get to it. I think the first half, uh, we just had a little few details to clean up. Uh, the second half, we came out. Everybody was violent, physical, went out there, and we scored some points. So that was good. Malik Willis talking after the game there about some first half struggles that led to some second half explosions and points. The Titans dominated on the ground in this game. I don't know how much it matters. It's just a preseason game, but you know that that's the style and the identity that Mike Vrabel wants his team to have. So good to see it come to fruition in the preseason. Justin, how's it going? I'm doing well, man. I know, you know, our listeners are probably tired of me saying this every week. I don't think they're tired, but I really, really mean it this time. Um, a lot of talking points coming out of this one, in my opinion. When you take a deep dive into some of the playing time, uh, snaps, where guys played, when they played. There were a couple of offensive linemen that switched positions in this game based on where they played week one. I thought that was very telling, and I'm excited to talk about that. A lot of talking points coming out of this one. That's right. We're going to go through Malik Willis's performance, talk about his interception, look at some of the wide receiver performances in this game, and talk about the first team offensive line who played a little, a tiny bit more than they played in week one, as well as the backup offensive line, the running backs, the tight ends. We got a lot to cover. I didn't even mention the defense there, so we're going to go through all of it. Before we get into it, I want to remind everyone, please subscribe to this YouTube channel. If you're just listening to the podcast, Head over to YouTube and subscribe to the Music City Audible. Give this video a thumbs up. Turn on the little bell for subscriber notifications so you get an alert every time we post a new video. And we're going to have a few more videos coming this week that will not be audio podcasts. So subscribe to the Music City Audible on YouTube. All right, Justin, let's get into this, starting with Malik Willis. He was a little up and down, as I said. Finished 10 of 17 for 85 yards, one passing touchdown, one interception. Took two sacks for 14 yards. But he also added 11 carries for 91 yards on the ground. And those numbers include three kneel downs for minus four yards. So his true rushing stats were eight carries for 95 yards. More productive on the ground than he was through the air. You can look at that one of two ways. That's either a concern that he's not being productive (laughs) enough as a passer, or it's encouraging that he is so effective with his legs, especially because I think in his rookie year, We heard so much hype about how good he would be as a runner, and I didn't really see it come to fruition outside of a couple of nice runs when he had opportunities throughout last season. He looked like a a really good runner in this game, and and I think he did in the preseason last year too, so maybe it's about you know playing against backups versus playing against starters, but I think we need to see more from Malik as a passer. You know, 85 passing yards is just not enough to typically win in the NFL. It's a passing league now, and there were a number of times where Malik dropped back to pass and ended up scrambling, which is how he ended up with so many rushing attempts. He made plays most of the time, so it's hard to fault him for that. But I do think there were a couple instances where the passing wasn't quite where we needed it to be, especially on the one to Nick Westbrook-Akina. Mike Vrabel mentioned this one pass like three or four times over the span of two press conferences, Saturday night and Sunday morning, uh, calling Malik, said Malik pulled the string, said he short-armed it a little bit. That was probably his worst miss. There was also the interception, which I want to break down with you in a second. But what were your overall thoughts on Malik's performance? I I, I pretty much agree with everything you're saying, right? It was a mixed bag. I, I don't think it was as bad as some people are making it out to be on Twitter. I, I think in particular, the two drops by Triga Kwonko really hurt him, I thought. And they, and yeah. they hurt his final numbers. And I thought 
Trig has to come down with, with both of those, right? And I think Mike Vrabel was, was was clear with that as well in his press conference. Um, yeah. But, there, of course, there was some bad, right? The, the interception we're, we're going to get into. I, I'm more displeased with the incompletion to Nick Westbrook Akine than I was with the interception because you're going to break it down. You did a terrific breakdown on Twitter on on maybe the why, um, so to speak, uh, behind that interception, although Vrabel didn't seem didn't seem thrilled with it. But the, the throw, the misfire to Nick Westbrook Akine bothered me more. Right. Because it was similar to the um, the interception the week before where I thought, you know, he had a clean enough pocket to deliver that ball. He had an open receiver to deliver that ball to and he just didn't get it there. Right. Didn't get it there in an accurate fashion. So that's one of those misses you can't have in the NFL. But to summarize, again, I, I thought it was a mixed bag. I don't think it was as bad as people are making it out, or at least some people are on Twitter. The rushing ability, I mean, look, get me positive yardage, right? Of course, you want to see him drop back and develop as a passer, go through his progressions, which I, I do think he's doing a better job of this year than he did last year. Like, this game didn't change my mind on that front. I, I think he looks a bit more poised, confident, showing more willingness to go through the progressions. I know the average time to throw went up in this game, and you'll get into the numbers, as opposed to going down, which is, yeah. I, I get it, it's it's disappointing, but I still think he looks more poised, more developed this year than he does last year. Like, I, I don't think this performance was bad enough for example, to change my mind on, on him making the 53-man roster, I, I would still project that he does. You know, I, I think I, I probably stopped short of calling it a lock, and I've repeated myself a few times, but I talk about teams keeping three quarterbacks on the 53, and they're obviously going to keep Tannehill and Levis. So I still think they're going to keep him. I, I don't think this performance has done anything, you know, sort of negatively enough where they're going to release him. But um, it, 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 again, it was a mixed bag and you wish it was a little better, but it, it could have been worse as well. That That's sort of where I went. Yeah, and I feel the same way. I do agree the two drops by Chig Aconqua were, you know, those are unacceptable drops, frankly. Yep. And you, he, Chig is the only starting caliber or starter <laughs> pass catcher that Malik has yep. to throw to out there. And he gives him two pretty catchable him, balls. Right? Like, no, you don't. Yeah. And the first one was a little more catchable. Some people were arguing that the second one needed to be a better throw. But on a rewatch, I mean, it hits him in both of his hands. He should have come down with it. And that's a guy that you're expecting to be a leader in the tight end room, a leader, you know, as a pass catcher for an offense that didn't have enough pass catchers last year. Obviously, you have DeAndre Hopkins added this year. You hope Traylon Burks is healthy after the LCL sprain he suffered uh, in practice, joint practices earlier in the week. But Chig's got to be a guy that's out there helping his young quarterback take those next steps, keep the drive moving, create big plays. And those two plays, he just he failed his quarterback on those. And and he knows it. And, you know, he's out there getting the rust out, too. I don't think this is an indictment on Chig's season or anything like that. Of course, he had a nice yeah. catch and run later in the game on a, on a well-designed little like bootleg with the leak out going the opposite direction. So. I think he'll be fine, um, but just in terms of like looking at Malik Willis's passing numbers, like you add two more completions for twenty-five-ish more yards, they're going to look a lot better than they currently do. But yeah, I do want to get into the interception here because on this play, so it looks like a cover two defense, and a typical linebacker, you know, the middle linebacker in a cover two defense, if the offense has a receiver or a tight end running up the seam, it's pretty common for that linebacker to carry the receiver or tight end up the seam on that vertical route in a cover two defense when you have two safeties that are on the left and the right side we call it middle of the field open right so the linebacker will usually be responsible for that middle of the field 
Well, in this instance, for whatever reason, I guess it's maybe a Brian Flores defense thing, or maybe it's a, a reaction to the Titans offense who have been very productive with that bang dig route over the middle off play action. Very, you know, with a lot of success over the years. So maybe it's like, hey, watch out for that crosser coming underneath the clear out route. Maybe that's like a key that the that Brian Flores gave his defense in this game. Well, regardless, Malik is got his eyes on Roberson, who's the receiver running up the seam on the clear out route. And he sees the linebacker falling back with Roberson. Malik looks left over at Racy McMath, who's running that deep dig route. As soon as as soon as Malik turns his head to the left, the linebacker stops and stays right there over the middle of the field, right in the path of that dig route, instead of carrying Roberson up the seam. Malik looks back to the middle, doesn't realize that the linebacker has stopped there, throws it basically right to him. But I want to point something out on this play because, number one, in defense of Malik, he, this is a guy who's still learning to read NFL defenses. He's a young guy. We knew he was raw coming into the league. We knew he would need some development in this area. So for him to see that linebacker dropping and not expect him to stop dropping, like, I don't blame him too much. Yes, he needs to have a little better recognition when he looks back over the middle of the field and sees the linebacker is still there. And he had Julius Chestnut leaking out on, the, on like a late leak out to his left. If he had kept progressing to his left, which is typically how QB progressions go, you don't usually look middle left and then back middle. He could have hit the check down. It probably would have been a big catch and run. But Racy McMath ran a really bad route on this play. McMath is supposed to run under that linebacker. And yeah, they may have been expecting him to drop more, but McMath's got to see it and adjust his route and come under the linebacker. And I want to play something that Willis said in the post-game press conference when Teron Davenport asked him um, if this was a predetermined throw is basically what he asked. So here's Malik in the press conference. Just No, his back was turned, gotcha. literally. Like, he, Racy was supposed to come right into that window, uh, but he kind of throttled a little bit, and he turned around after he seen him, and it just was a bad play. I just got to get down to my check down. So Malik admits at the end there he's got to get down to his check down, but he says that the linebacker saw McMath coming underneath and throttled on the carry, meaning he stopped and sat in the zone. Well, Racy's got to see the linebacker too and run under him so that he has, so that there's a throwing window for Malik to throw to. And again, he shouldn't have thrown the ball probably, but he wasn't, he didn't get any help from his receiver McMath on the play. And yeah, he had the check down that he probably should have gone to. But all of this to say, I just don't think it was quite as bad as people made it out to be because, you know, you watch it on the, like from the sideline cam, the broadcast view, and Malik basically throws it straight to a linebacker. But when you really break it down, there's more to it. Mike Vrabel obviously didn't sound too happy with the play afterwards, and this is an area where Malik is going to grow, especially making this mistake in a preseason game, being able to go see the film and see what happened, talk with his receiver about what happened. But anyway, he didn't get a lot of help on this play either, is, is my point. So in his defense, it wasn't quite as bad as it looked on the broadcast. Well, I fully agree, and I thought you hit the nail on the head. In fact, I, I wish one of the Titans reporters, local beat guys, saw your tweet and would have just flat out asked, you know, asked Vra- I would have I would have been more curious to hear than ask Vrabel. You know, along yeah. Malik's interception, you know, not that common for the linebacker to pass off that seam route to the safety and cover two. Uh, but I guess Malik essentially answered it for us, right? It, to me, it sounds like a heads-up play by the linebacker, right? Like great yeah. great recognition of something that's developing. Maybe something he saw on tape, again, with the Titans offense, because we know they've loved, you know, to attack the middle of the field in those concepts. Or maybe it is a, a, an ideology of the Brian Flores defense, right? Either way, the linebacker made a, made a terrific play, terrific play on it. So I'm with you. Like, I, again, you're never going to fully absolve a quarterback of blame in such a scenario. Yeah, sure, he could have continued through his progression, could have recognized, hit the linebacker, or sorry, hit the running back on the check down. But 
Uh, I'm with you. It looks way worse on, on cable, right? The TV copy makes it look way worse than it does when you get the all 22 and you know the coaching points and you understand what they're trying to achieve there. And, and you recognize and appreciate uh, the heads up play that's made by the linebacker in that right. scenario. So um, I, I'm, I'm fully with you on that. I thought it was a great breakdown on your part. And I really wish because Vrabel didn't sound as forgiving, right? Correct me if I'm wrong on yeah. the interception as th- that's why I would have loved for someone to specifically say that to him and see how he would have responded. Hey, you know, are, are you surprised that the linebacker in that look, you know, uh, didn't pa- uh, you know, p- pass it off? So very, very curious. To, to, I wish we got a chance to hear what Vrabel would have said about it. Yeah, same. And overall, you know, I think Malik did a good job on third downs. He had a really nice throw to Mason Kinsey early in the game to convert a third down where he looks off the linebacker. He looks left before throwing back to the middle so that the linebacker moves and creates that open throwing lane. That was a nice play. There was another one later in the game where he was patient on the crossing route and he hit Racy McMath coming back underneath who had a lot of room to run upfield. So I think overall there was a lot of good that Malik did here. Now, he had a huge opportunity to sort of cement himself as and prove that he belongs as QB2 on this roster with Will Levis out dealing with some sort of upper leg injury. I don't think he did that necessarily, but he is continuing to show growth. Now, you mentioned the time to throw numbers. We should hit on those. It actually went up this week. So through two games in the preseason, he's at 3.58 average time to throw. That includes all throws. Um, But if you take out the scrambles and the sacks, ones where he attempts a pass without scrambling, without getting sacked, uh, in week two, he had a three-second time to throw, which was the third slowest among all quarterbacks with a minimum of 15 dropbacks in the preseason. Week one, he was at 2.92 seconds in that category, so got a, you know an eighth of a second slower there. Um, I, and credit to Zach Efforts Pod for posting these numbers, and they're all PFF numbers. But you know, did he need to be a little faster processing at times? I think so, but I also think some of these numbers are inflated by him kind of moving around in the pocket and then throwing the ball, which he did a couple of times, some longer developing play. Overall, yes, he needs to get rid of the ball a lot faster, and Will Levis was at like 2.52 second time to throw in this exact metric when you remove sacks and scrambles. So Will Levis was faster in you know week one, but we didn't get to see him in week two. So just by virtue of not playing, did Will Levis gain ground or lose ground on Malik in this game? What do you think? Well, I would agree with you that the performance probably cracks the door open, right, for Levis to, to still get an opportunity to be the QB2 before the offseason ends here or before this tra- training camp and preseason ends. And, of course, you know, Levis missed an opportunity by not being, you know, healthy enough to play in this game, although he looked at, looked pretty good out there when he came out, right? Certainly probably just a an overly safe precaution holding him out of this one. And it gave Willis a great yeah. opportunity to play all four quarters, right? And I think they, you know, they probably appreciated a, an unforeseen opportunity to see that. But I agree that the performance cracked the door open. He didn't do anything to, I guess, really separate himself as the clear-cut QB2. Now, with that said, Levis still has to come here and, and try to take it from him, right? Like, you'd like to see yeah. Levis play in the third. And for that to happen... You'd like to see Levis play in the third preseason game. You'd like to see him play well. You'd like to see him return to practice as soon as possible this week. And I know they canceled joint practices with the Patriots, which you and I will probably get to, and that's a missed opportunity for both of them. But Levis still has to come and take it, right? I don't think Willis is just going to give it away, nor do I think he's playing poorly enough to give it away. Like, you remember just a couple weeks ago, everyone was saying, well, he's been the better quarterback back in training camp, right? Like, he's been better than Levis. So, Levis still has to come and take it, but I would agree that he certainly didn't do anything, you know, Willis did to sort of separate himself. 
Yeah, right. He did throw a really nice touchdown pass to Julius Chestnut and a really good catch, too. That was like a sort of contested play there. And Josh Wiley does a nice job with a sort of a pick route, clearing out the defense and allowing Chestnut to get free. But it was a good ball placement for that touchdown. And Mike Vrabel was asked if he if the Titans will be signing a third quarterback um, or a fourth quarterback, I should say, for this you know last week of preseason. And he said no. So it sounds like Will Levis is going to be OK. Um, I would expect him to be back at practice at some point this week, maybe not on Tuesday, but at some point, because like you said, he was out there warming up, running on the field, throwing on the field before the game. He had a little sleeve wrap thing over his upper leg. So whatever's going on, a hamstring, quad, wherever the, the injury is, it doesn't seem too serious if he's out there running and throwing around before the game. They just, like you said, taking an extra precaution there. Let's talk about some other things about this game. I mentioned Chigakonko's drops. Um, overall, the wide receiver comparison here. What did you make? Like, I'm struggling to see any of these back end guys separate themselves in the wide receiver competition. What do you see? Yeah, it's tough, right? They, they, you talked about it. What did Willis finish with? 85 yards? Like, they didn't really yeah. complete enough passes for one of these guys to to continue separating themselves. I, I think I'm seeing the same things I, I've seen for the last few weeks, right? Like, I like Reggie Roberson Jr. I, I still think, you know, the training camp performances and what he's done at practice looks glowingly on him, right? Reflects glowingly. Um, Kiaris Jackson has made some plays. He's made plays on special teams as well, which I think is potentially big, you know, for his chance. Uh, Colin Dowell, I do think has gotten better. I've had some good conversations with people around the team about that. And they, they sort of expected that slow start for him being such a, you know, a small school guy, a local small school guy getting drafted in the seventh round. You, you kind of expect them to start slow in all honesty, but I think you're starting to see the light bulb come up, come on for him. And he's made a few more plays in practice. Uh, Mason Kinsey's not going down without a fight, right? He's probably been yeah. their best receiver in the preseason. Right. And I don't think that's overly shocking to any of us. Right. Cause He's a hard worker. He's been there for four years. He's the longest tethered receiver on the team alongside Nick Westbrook-Akine. He knows his playbook. He knows the offense. He knows the staff. So I'm not shocked he's playing well. And, and we're going to you know, talk about the opportunity they gave him to take a snap or two at quarterback. And it kind of yeah. just, you know, it was more of a fun thing, but it reflects how much they like him, I think, and how much respect they have for him and the amount of preparation that he puts into his work on a daily basis. So they've obviously cut him, what, three years in a row. So it's sort of hasn't been enough for them to keep him on the 53 permanently. He's received a call up or two, right, to the 53 and played some special teams, but They've kept him around. He, he's probably been their best one. And, and 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 Kyle Phillips left this game on a on a cart, I think, right? Which yeah. I, I don't know that that was a serious enough injury to, to be carted off the field. I guess we don't know if it is or isn't, but I would lean towards it isn't, right? It, it felt it, it sort of looked like gave off that vibe of more of a precaution thing. But if Phillips is down for any period of time, uh, uh, Kinsey's the most uh, sorry, sort of applicable like-for-like -like replacement. I think for him, right, is a guy that can play the slot. And no, it's not because of uh, he's white and undersized, right? I, I think he's very clearly a slot-only receiver, just like Kyle Phillips, is. they don't really have another one of those with experience on the roster like Kinsey does. So, I, I like, it, it, this is the, man, Racy McMath is, you know, he's made a couple plays and he's playing special teams. Like, this battle, like, uh, for this, I, I see you kind of nodding your head, like, yeah, I don't know, right? But it's like, <laughs> There's like seven guys in this battle, seven or eight guys. It's crazy, right? I can't remember there being that many of them. And I can't remember it being this muddied, right? Like, I, I don't know that any of them is a clear cut, you know, go-to favorite for the final spot. So it's, it's, it's very interesting. 
Yeah, Mason Kinsey is leading the team uh, this preseason with eight catches, most catches for 77 yards, most yards. Um, He's the only player in this Titans-Vikings game for the Titans who had more than one catch. Um, Next up was Chigaquanko with one catch for 19 yards, then Racy McMath with one catch for 16 yards, Gavin Holmes, one catch for five yards, Josh Wiley, one catch for four yards, Tajay Spears, one catch for three yards, and Julius Chestnut, one catch for a one-yard touchdown. Mason Kinsey led the team with four catches for 37 yards. When your quarterback only completes 10 passes for 85 yards, all the receiving stats are going to be depressed. So four catches for 37 yards, if you extrapolate that to like a quarterback who completes 20 passes for 250 yards, like <laughs> he's going to be a productive player. I don't know. I'm not sleeping yeah. on Mason Kinsey here. Like, and, sorry, I, he, he came down with half his completions, essentially, right? Like half of like, yeah, completions almost. <laughs> went, went to Mason Kinsey, so... And he played emergency quarterback, as you mentioned. He had, I mean, he probably should have handed the ball off on one of the ones he kept, but that's okay. He wanted to have some fun out there and get some rushing yards. So Kinsey also had one carry for six yards. Um, He was a productive player in this game, and he was like a guy who's going to be in the right spot. We've been making fun of Mason Kinsey, and Mason Kinsey stands on Twitter for four years now. But look, when he gets the opportunity, all the guy does is make plays. And I know that that was the same story last year and probably the same story the year before that, and he still didn't make the team, but... Just I haven't seen anyone else in this receiving competition separate themselves in the preseason. Now we hear about R- Reggie Robertson making plays in practice. Racy McMath, the reason I shook my head there is like it really stands out to me when you make a critical error that leads to a turnover as the primary receiving option on a play. Like he's got to be better on that play that Malik threw the interception on. We went through it already, but that stands out to me. Now I will say from a special teams perspective, Racy McMath was you know, one of the more productive Titans players on special teams. He had a tackle, only like five, only six special teams tackles were made in this game. And he had one of them and uh, no other receiver had a special teams tackle in this game. So from that standpoint, like, yeah, maybe he's a little ahead. You know, the rest of the guys were like running backs, cornerbacks, linebacker safeties that, that got in on the action on special teams. Um, if you count Kevin Radar, I don't know. He's a tight end, I guess, but um, <laughs> made a, yeah, a tackle. He's a tight end. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's a special teams player, so he's not really anything. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, my point is like, I do still think it's going to be about special teams that separates these guys. Now, Karis Jackson also left this game with an with an injury. We don't know how serious it is. We don't know how serious Kyle Phillips injury is. Phillips, given his like semi high profile um, spot on the Titans offense, I feel like if it was serious, we would have got a rap sheet tweet about how serious it was. Or maybe he's not high enough profile to get that kind of tweet because we got it from Tra- about Traylon Burks from Rap Sheet. It's been a few days now since the game. We have no idea if Kyle Phillips or Karis Jackson will be healthy enough to practice this week or play this week or what that does to their roster chances. So we'll have to wait and see. But overall, like, I guess I'm disappointed that Reggie Robertson and Treshawn Harrison haven't made a bigger impact in the preseason because I was kind of expecting those guys to. But it also comes back to, you know, Malik only completing 10 passes. <laughs> I mean, I think that's a fair point on your part. Like, both of them, even you could throw Kiers Jackson. They made some plays in the first preseason game, but you've heard some good things about all of them. I, I, even Gavin Holmes, in all honesty, I think being a little bit slept on or disregarded by us because he's made some some nice plays too. And, and he's had some missed opportunities that wasn't, his fault, right? Like, was it the first game where Willis missed them for like a, or Levis missed them for a potential like game winning touchdown? I would say he needed to catch that ball. It was a little outside his frame. I'm not saying he needed to catch it and score. If it's a better ball, he probably does. But on the all 22 rewatch, when I looked at that one, I thought it actually was 
a good enough pass to be completed. And okay. he had to extend away from his frame to catch it, and he didn't bring it in. So I don't okay. know. I kind of put that one 50-50 on both of them. So, yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying. Like, all these guys, any of them, like, maybe the pre I came into this preseason thinking the guys who play the best in the preseason and make the biggest impact on special teams are going to be the guys that stand out the most and have the best chance of making the team. And I now think that their preseason performance is going to have little or nothing to do with who makes the team at the wide receiver position. I mean, it 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 looks that way because as you said, like none of them caught more <laughs> than a pass the right in, in yeah. week two. And there wasn't a whole lot done in week one either, right? In all honesty. So you can't make this decision, I think, based on what you've seen in the preseason. And I'm sure there are some other, you know, coaching points, things we may not realize that they've noticed, right? This guy's getting better depth on his routes. This guy knows our playbook better. Yada yada. Like maybe there are a couple of those things that certainly you can analyze throughout the preseason um with the with a coach's eye. But you're right. Like this is probably going to come down to what they've seen all summer long in training camp practices, rookie OTAs, minicamp, all that, and uh, and special teams ability. I, I fully agree with you. Yeah, exactly. So we'll see. I mean, we, we're just going to have to predict what we think, you know, based on what we know about these guys and what we, what they do on special teams. And we'll get to that later this week in a 53-man roster projection right here on the Music City Audible YouTube channel. Make sure you're subscribed and have the alerts turned on so you know when that video drops. Let's continue talking about the offense here before we flip over to the other side of the ball. First team O-line in this game played a little bit more than they did in the first game. They played 16 total snaps together. Um, Daniel Brunskill was pretty good. He allowed one hurry slash one pressure. Peter Skaronsky, pretty good, allowed one hurry slash one pressure. But the rest of the Titans offensive line starters, I mean, they were really good in this game. Aaron Brewer was was outstanding as a run blocker, clearing the hole for Tajay Spears on his long touchdown run, along with Daniel Brunskill. Um, Andre Dillard was, you know, the second highest graded Titan in pass protection. So pass blocking grade here from PFF. Second highest. And uh, overall, I thought the first team offensive line looked just as good as they did in week one, even though they went three and out. Mike Vrabel talked about them having a little bit of a slower start than he would have expected. But they came back, put that touchdown drive together. Obviously, Tajay Spears was phenomenal with the 33 yard burst. But, you know, just the general blocking, I thought, from the first team offensive line. I'm not concerned yet. You know, Chris Hubbard was uh, maybe the weak link again. He was the lowest graded player overall from PFF on the offensive line. Also allowed one hurry slash pressure. The way PFF is tracking this, it's like if there's a hurry, there's also a pressure. I don't know what they're differentiating that is. But um, so Hubbard, Skaronsky, and Brunskill did all allow a pressure on just, what, uh, seven pass blocking snaps. Not ideal. Um but I thought overall they settled in. They had a great drive to, to score a touchdown, and they look decent. I don't know if Hubbard's going to be the starting right tackle. I don't think he's done anything to lose the job yet, though. And uh, overall, I'm encouraged by their performance. Yeah, I, I would agree that overall I'm encouraged by their performance. I think my major takeaway from the two preseason games with the O-line, or the first team O-line, that is, is I'm a bit more optimistic about their potential heading into the season than I was. I still think there's a lot of, you know, wiggle room for evaluation and maybe week one comes, uh, you know, against the New Orleans Saints, great D-line, Cam Jordan, everyone else there. Maybe we end up looking dumb, right? Maybe we're like, oh, no, never mind. That preseason meant nothing at all. This unit is as bad as we feared they would be. But as of now, all, all we can do is analyze what we're seeing, right? Analyze what we've seen in the preseason. I think Dillard's been, you know, quite good in pass protection. I think Peter Skaronsky's been outstanding. Aaron Brewer's been really good as a run blocker. You, you talked about the way he, you know, he cleared the way for that Tajay Spears 33-yard uh, touchdown. Daniel Brunsky 
Hill has been pretty sound, I think, in both aspects, run blocking and pass protection. And I would agree that Hubbard has sort of been the weak link, but hasn't been awful, at least in the preseason, hasn't right. been awful. Saw some clips against joint practices with the Vikings where I was concerned about, about how cleanly Daniel Hunter beat him. But those clips are always yeah. going to go viral, right? Maybe we didn't see 15 <laughs> other snaps where he got the better of Daniel Hunter, right? Like, so it, it, it's tough to say, but I, I do think he's probably the weak link and the one guy, of course, that maybe still has his job sort of up for grabs. And we're going to get into that in a second on who the main competitor now appears to be a new competitor sort of revealing himself. Uh, but I'll, I'll finish by summarizing. I'm a bit more optimistic than I was, but obviously um, we still don't know. And we'll find out when week one gets here. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing else more we can say. They played decent in their 16 snaps. They played better than decent in their 16 snaps. That's 28 total snaps in the preseason. And they've looked, you know, there's a lot of people out there who have the Titans ranked as the 32nd offensive line heading into this year. They do not look like the 32nd ranked offensive line. They look like they could be average to above average based on what we've seen so far. Now, obviously, as you mentioned, like when they get out there against, you know, some of the best pass rushers in the league, maybe things will look different. Uh, some of the best run stuffing guys in the league, some some big anchors on defensive lines, and talking about the Saints, you know, week one, we'll see how it goes. But um, with and Cameron they, Jordan and those guys, they've got uh, a lot of them on the schedule, right? Like Cam Jordan, yeah, you've got the Bosa first six with weeks. the Chargers, I think week two, the Browns, they play early, they've got Miles Garrett. Like there's there's gonna be a gauntlet of rushers that they've got right out of the gate. So um, we'll find out pretty quickly. Yeah. An old friend in Jadeveon Clowney, week six in London, now with the Ravens. So we'll find out. But I also want to talk, as you mentioned, about the guy who is competing most, I think, now with Chris Hubbard for that right tackle job. And that's Justin Murray, who in the first preseason game, Murray played exclusively at uh, right guard. He played 33 snaps at right guard. In the second preseason game, he played exclusively at right tackle. He played 45 snaps at right tackle. 19 pass blocking opportunities, zero hurries, zero pressures, zero sacks, zero hits. His pass blocking grade was a green color on PFF, 70.8. His run blocking grade wasn't as high as 55.4, but he also is the one who caved open a a hole, caving in the right side of the line for Julius Chestnut's 55-yard run. And, uh, I mean, you could drive a truck through that hole, as John Madden would have said about it. Um... That was a huge hole and a great block by him. So I don't know. I mean, maybe there were a couple of plays he got beat that PFF is docking him points for. But I thought, I mean, granted, he's not playing against the same level of competition that maybe Chris Hubbard was facing on those first 16 snaps. I think this guy needs a chance to run with the ones, though, whether that's in practice this week, whether that's Friday night against the Patriots in the last preseason game. I think Justin Murray has a chance to be the best right tackle option for the Titans. And there's only one way to find out, and that's to give him an opportunity to see and see how he gels, you know, playing next to Daniel Brunskill, because obviously Hubbard and Brunskill have worked next to each other for a few weeks now. They're getting uh, some chemistry built. Well, let's give Justin Murray a shot there and see if he's less of a weak link, I guess, than Chris Hubbard. Because I don't think he's going to be great, but if he's less of a weak link, it's a better option than what Chris Hubbard can give you. Well, I fully agree, and I don't know how much I have to add, but I'll say this. I thought he was their best offensive lineman against the Vikings, and it was, what, 45 snaps at right tackle, which I believe was a team high right across any offensive lineman um, in this game on the team. So they obviously went into this game. They wanted to see him and they wanted to see him play right tackle. Right. And I think he passed that test with flying colors. So I would imagine this week practice Patriots, you are going to see a bit more um, of Justin Murray at right tackle. And I hope you see him with the once, as you said, I, I think they need to give him a shot 
to work next to Brunskill and see if there's some chemistry there, right? And, and, and see if they can work that out. I think what I find, like when they added him, right, just a few weeks ago in, in free agency, I thought it was a little weird that they added him as a guard. And he spends a lot right. of time early playing more guard than tackle. Um, because if you look at his three years in Arizona, he spent the majority of his time starting at right tackle. I, I felt that that's what he was going to be for this team, as, especially because yes. you know they had the hole at right tackle. Okay, they're bringing in another guy that can play right tackle. Well, that is the case, but initially they, they really seemed to lean into the guard thing, which I thought was weird. First week in the preseason, he only played guard, right? Well, you get into this game, they finally put him at right tackle, and he repays them, right, for that opportunity. And when I talked about analyzing the snap counts earlier, I teased it. That was one of them. Well, the other one was that Andrew Rupsich, who they essentially told us, the Titans did, that he was the main contender to Chris Hubbard for the right tackle job. How do they tell us that? Because he played 45 snaps essentially at right tackle in week one. Didn't play very well, right? Gave up a team high five pressures. When you come back into this game week two, where did Andrew Rupsich play? Exclusively at left guard, right? And his snaps yeah. were almost cut in half roughly. He played about 25, 26 snaps at left guard, zero at right tackle. It was all Justin Murray there at right tackle, right? With the 45 snaps. So they're learning here as they go and they're they're making conclusions based on what they see, right? Rupsich didn't play particularly well uh, against the Bears in week one at right tackle. So they kicked him inside to guard. And Murray, they thought, yeah. okay, he's the one that deserves an opportunity. And he kicks from guard to tackle. And he played really, really well, in my opinion. So I hope we see that trend continue where they're going to make more conclusions, right, based on what they see. And the conclusion based on this one is that he deserves some time with the once. Yeah. Absolutely agree. So we'll see if they take us up on that suggestion going forward. Um, you mentioned there, Rupsich. He did allow one pressure in this game after allowing five pressures, team high in week one. Only eight pass blocking snaps, though. So 26 snaps at left guard, eight of those passing snaps, and he did allow a pressure. So that's still not a great rate. Um, but you'd like to see the number go down from five to one. Of course, the pass blocking opportunities went down from 31 to eight. So it's a little bit skewed there. Um, in that regard, some other guys that didn't play well, I think Jalen Duncan struggled mightily in this game at, at left tackle. He uh, he left the game early and went to the locker room with trainers in 13 pass blocking opportunities at left tackle. He allowed three pressures. That's too many. Um, so he's obviously still trying to find his way in the NFL as a sixth round project pick for a reason. So going to give him a little bit of time. Don't know if he was really injured, if he was it's a conditioning thing and, and we didn't hear anything about it. And in the game notes, where they list the injuries at the end, he wasn't mentioned. So all we know is that there was a tweet. I think it was Teron Davenport tweeted that he went into the locker room with trainers towards the end of that game. So not sure how, you know, what his status is, but he didn't play very well. Uh, Corey Levin was the second lowest graded offensive lineman for the Titans in this game. I didn't think he was bad on the eye test, but PFF thought he was pretty bad. So throwing that out there. And then uh, the next worst guy was Chris Hubbard, according to PFF grade. Zach Johnson got another chance to play a lot of left tackle. Didn't play very well again. He had 19 snaps at left tackle. Didn't allow any pressures or hurries this game, thank God. But his overall grade on PFF, 59.5 grade, 50.6 run blocking grade. In just six passing pass attempts, he did have a pretty high PFF grade. But again, only six attempts, hard to get any read on that. So these other guys playing in the back end, I wasn't impressed with any of them. The Any of these three guys. Well, the, the entire NFL has an issue uh, across That's depth true. offensive line. Like I wrote a story earlier today um, for the Draft Network on Jason Peters 
and uh, who's a 40-year-old free agent tackle that announced he'd like to play this year. Uh, you know, one of the best left tackles in his prime, right? He made like nine consecutive Pro Bowls from uh, 07 to 16. Played spartingly for the Cowboys last year. Perhaps Titans kicked the tires on him. That, that's not why I brought him up. But um, I played well, by the way, spartingly for the Cowboys last year. You Twitter search his name, essentially. And I was doing some research as I wrote the story. And I think I saw a tweet from all 32 fan bases essentially saying, hey, go get Jason Peters. Our O-line sucks. Or <laughs> the depth of our O-line sucks, right? Like, every team needs to have better depth. And uh, Corey Levin, you brought him up. I mean, I think he's safe on the 53. I'm not I'm not too worried yeah, about him. Agreed. One guy you didn't mention uh, was Xavier Newman-Johnson. There's two guys I didn't mention. So go ahead with the first one. Sorry. I, I Sorry. said, no, you're a master of <laughs> ceremonies. So I imagine you were setting it up. Here I am. I'm going to come in like the effing Kool-Aid guy, just break down the wall and ruin everything. But <laughs> oh, um, yeah. <laughs> I thought Xavier Newman-Johnson was terrific in this game. A second-year UDFA out of Baylor. When they signed him last year in undrafted free agency, I was high on him. I, I thought he put some really good stuff on tape in college at Baylor. Didn't make the team last year, but stuck around on the practice squad the majority of the season. And then I thought in you know, week one against the Bears, I thought it was a mixed bag. Didn't really meet my expectations because I have fairly high expectations for him. I really like the kid. I thought he was outstanding in this game against Minnesota outstanding. I thought he was, if not their best O lineman, again, Justin Murray, he was their, their second best O lineman in this game. Um, and again, the, the sample size helps, right. With the starters not playing as much as they did, they didn't, you know, quite have a chance to establish dominance. I thought Newman Johnson looked really, really good in this game. Yeah. After playing all over the interior week one last week, he played 15 left guard snaps, 10 center snaps and 13 right guard snaps. This game, they suck him solely at right guard. He played 35 snaps there, didn't allow a pressure, didn't allow a hurry, had the highest pass-blocking PFF grade of any Titans O-lineman in this game, 85.1. Decent overall grade. He wasn't as dominant as a run blocker, but obviously, as an offensive line, the Titans were great as a running unit in this game. So I think, again, some, you know, getting docked for a few missed blocks here and there. PFF is weird, and you got to take it all with a grain of salt. But I thought Xavier Newman-Johnson was really good in this game as well. And uh, I think he's a guy, you know, week one, he proved his, ver his versatility, that he can play all three spots on the inside. This week, he proved that if you stick him at one spot, he can hold it down. I think he's there's a roster spot for someone like that, someone who has the interior versatility to be like your backup swing guard, especially if somebody goes down or if you don't, you know, if Corey Levin has to play center or, and you got to kick somebody out, Brunskill or Skaronski or somebody out to tackle and you need another guard, insert Xavier Newman-Johnson. I thought he was very good in this game. The last guy I didn't mention was Jordan Roos who was also very highly graded according to PFF here. He played 19 snaps at left guard, which is 15 less snaps total than he played in the first preseason game. So I don't know if they wanted to get, you know, an extended look at some of these other guys, Andrew Rupsich playing left guard. Maybe there wasn't as much opportunity for uh, Jordan Roos there with Xavier Newman playing so much at right guard. Last week, Jordan Roos played 15 snaps at right guard, 19 at left guard this week. 19 all at left guard. So again, less right guard snaps to go around when they, with them wanting to get a bigger look at Xavier Newman-Johnson. I think that Jordan Roos played well too. He hasn't done anything to lose a roster spot yet, but it is going to be a close competition between him and Xavier Newman-Johnson, I think, for who gets that last offensive line slot on the final roster. I'm in full agreement with you. I, I think that's probably the final spot that's up for grabs now. That, that means... You're, you're counting, you know, Jalen Duncan as the eighth, you know, lineman there. And if it does come down to that, the ninth one is going to be one of those interior guys. 
And I, I do think it comes down to Jordan Roos for versus Xavier Newman Johnson. And when when teams are are forced to make these decisions, I I, I think one thing that fans don't always realize the question the Titans will probably ask themselves or the question they should ask themselves um, is which one are we likelier to get back on our practice squad, right? If we cut Mm -hmm. one of these guys, which one is likelier to be claimed, right? By a competing team. And that's a a, a good question. And look, you could make a, a case for both of them, right? I think you can say that Xavier Newman Johnson is younger, has more upside and we haven't seen as much of him. And, um, you know, we, we sort of know what Jordan Roos is. So maybe we're going to go with the young guy. We're going to go with this, the performance ceiling that hasn't been reached yet. On the flip side, you can say, you know, Jordan's been here for what, three or four years now, like uh, on and off with the practice squad, on and off on the 53. He started a couple games for us last year, I think down the stretch, right? When everyone went down, essentially, um, he, he knows the offense, we know what we get from him. We know what he gives us. And we like that. We like that reliability, right? We like that continuity up front that we get from him. So I, I just made a strong case for both of them. And I imagine the conversation is probably similar between Rand Carthon and Mike Grable. I think they say everything that I just said. Well, what, you know, what they, they go through that's the discussion that you have, right? Well, what do we like about Jordan? Well, that's what it is. It's continuity. It's a consistency. We know what he is. We, we, he works his butt off. I know that for a fact, He's a consummate pro. And with Xavier, it's the upside, right? Like you talked about being able to, the versatility. A lot of interior guys have some versatility, but you love that he played all three in the first week. But then this week, again, what do you see? And I like that they took a bit more of a focused approach, right? Let's give him a chance to settle into one position and see how he plays and see how he responds. And and he passed it with flying colors, right? And he can make an argument saying, see what I'm capable of when you do give me 20, 30 consecutive snaps at the same spot, instead of having to switch it up on a drive by drive basis. So um, I'm a big fan of both of them. I do think it, one of them makes the 53. You probably throw Andrew Rupsich into that conversation, one of those three guys. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're listening to this, maybe you're writing off Rupsich, but they clearly like him quite a bit, right? Like They gave him the first opportunity to rival Hubbard for right tackle. They did that for a reason, and they brought him up a couple times sort of unprompted right earlier this summer. So they, they do like him, and they like the development that he showed as a second-year UDFA out of Culver-Stockton. So um, it's going to be a fascinating battle. Uh, I think you can make a case for all of them. Yeah, and you mentioned versatility there in the favor of Zamer Newman Johnson. Well, I'd argue Rupsich being able to play guard and tackle is a right. little bit more valuable versatility so we'll have to see how they value that if they i mean jalen duncan who knows i mean sixth round picks are no lock for yeah, the roster maybe we expect him to make the team but yeah there could exactly there could be a surprise we didn't mention two other guys jimmy murray and john leglue who each played 10 snaps in total in this game i think those guys are camp bodies and they're not really in the mix for a, a roster spot so sorry to the two of them Best of luck in your pursuit of the NFL, but I don't think it will be with the Titans. Uh, Let's talk quickly about tight ends here because I do think we need to shout out Thomas Adukoya, the uh, International Pathway Player Program, International Pathway, whatever the heck the NFL (laughs) does, where they just basically give a team a player from like a pool of international players and it's not a draft pick or a free agent signing and it's just like, here's a new player for you. Well, the Titans got Thomas Adekoya in that process. He's a tight end. He played 20 snaps in this game. He was blocking on 19 of those snaps. He was one-on-one with, you know, an ed- edge rusher or or a linebacker or a blitzing corner or safety almost every opportunity he had in the run game in this one. 
and he was really good. He was one of the guys on Julius Chestnut's 55-yard run, clearing a hole. Um, you can see, if you watch some just rushing highlights in this game, watch the inline tight ends. Look for number 89 because Adekoya was blocking dudes in this game. He only went out for one route, didn't get a target, didn't get a catch. But uh, he's a guy that, you know, if the Titans elect to keep four tight ends, he is firmly in the conversation and I think ahead of Alize Mack who only played 13 snaps in this game, 12 as a blocker, didn't grade out as well according to Pro Football Focus. So, And Adekoya only played four um, snaps where he was helping in pass protection, but he received a 75.2, very green grade for on PFF. He did well. He did well in both phases, and uh, I like where he's how he's developing. He's, he's going to be a fan favorite kind of guy. So I'm going to pat myself on the back real quickly, okay? Because I wrote a story 13 months ago July wow. 2022 on Thomas Udakoya, shortly after they got him. By the way, it is the International Player Pathway Program is what it's called. I wrote a story on him. I'm going to pat myself on the back because it didn't get enough love. I get it. At the time, everyone was like, well, who the heck is Thomas Udakoya, right? He was like, Essentially, they were granted a roster spot for him on the practice squad, right? He didn't count towards the total uh, number of guys on the practice squad last year. And guess what? The Titans, like, they knew this was a, that, why do they do that? This is a developmental thing when you're coming from that program, right? So they don't want a team to cut a guy that quickly because they've only got 17, 18 spots on the practice squad. So the Titans knew that they took this guy as a developmental guy from that program. He was a Dutch national MVP, by the way, back in the Netherlands. Then he was a team captain for two years and received all academic, uh, sorry, academic all Mac recognition, played college football at Eastern Michigan, right? When I wrote this story at the time, I sat down with Eastern Michigan's tight end coach, Brandon Blaney. He was the position coach for Otakoya in college. Um, hmm. First thing he said to me was, most programs build statues of kids that win the Heisman Trophy. If I could convince the program to build a statue of this kid in front of our stadium, I would. That's how much wow. he loved Thomas Otakoya. Why did I find this story so interesting? Why did I write it? Coach Blaney was with the Titans from 2015 to 2017. Three years he was on the staff with the Titans. No one remembers the name. He was a defensive assistant, very much getting his feet wet as a, as, as a football coach. He worked for John Robinson for two years, right? 2016, 2017. Obviously, you know, Vrabel was not there yet, but uh, it gave him a, a decent idea, essentially, right, of the identity Titans look for. So Coach Blaney ends up at Eastern Michigan, ends up coaching uh, two years, Thomas Otakoya there. What did he say to me? He goes, that's a guy that is the Titans' identity. He's 6'6", 263. 40 games in Eastern Michigan. You know how many passes he caught in 40 games? Just 20. Two? 20 in 40 games. You know why? They asked him to block. That's what he wanted to do, right? They asked him to block. Right? Guess what? He's phenomenal. He's a phenomenal blocker. They knew it back then. They knew it when they got him. Coach Blaney knew it, right? He said to me he prides himself on the physicality of his play. He knows that professionally... His job is going to be to move a defender from point A to point B against their will. Whether he has three catches or 30 on the year, he doesn't care. He knows what his job is. He is a point-of-attack blocker. That's how he'll earn an NFL salary. Coach Blaney knocked it out of the fucking yeah. park 13 months ago, right, when the Titans got this kid on the practice squad from the pathway pro, the international pathway program. So that's what he is. That's what he's turned into. I knew what I was writing then. I knew I knew what they had in him. Um, the development's been clear. He's getting his feet wet. Like he was in international, right? He came over from the Netherlands when he was like, I, I think he was 15 or 16, right? Like 
essentially very close to being an adult, right? Goes into college football, gets his feet wet there, is very clearly a good blocker. He's one of the best block. He's one of the strongest guys on the team. He's one of the best blockers on the team. Yeah. Old linemen included. He is that good. Yeah. You want to run the football with Derrick Henry? There's a spot for Thomas Odekoya on the 53-man roster. You've got trouble at right tackle. You're not sure who's going to start there. You've got trouble all across the line. Guess who plays as an extension of the offensive line attached to the hip of one of those tackles, and it's going to help you? Thomas Odekoya. I'll be disappointed oh, yeah. and stunned if he's not on the 53-man roster. I don't know that there are a lot of people out there saying that they'd be stunned if he's not on the 53. I'm willing to go <laughs> that far. I'm willing to go as far as to say I'll be stunned if he's not on the 53. I'll be disappointed if he's not on the 53. Yeah, I think he's making it. Well said there. Thanks for all those points. Um, let's move on here because we are running a little bit long on the offensive side of the ball, and we haven't even got to the defense yet. So real quickly, I want to shout out Julius Chestnut and Tajay Spears. Look, if Derrick Henry goes down for whatever reason this season, I'm not hoping or wishing for anything like that. But, you know, he is going to be turning 30, I guess not till the very end of the year, but it is his age 30 season. If the Titans had to rely on Tajay Spears and Julius Chestnut as a two-headed monster of a running back combo... I think they'd be pretty much just fine. Tajay Spears looks electric. He had that one play on third and four where they hand it off to him and say, go get these four yards, Tajay. He's got a free man in the backfield almost as soon as he touches the ball. Avoids that guy, picks up the first down, no problem. Then on his 33-yard touchdown run, they're like, we're going to block everybody but the safety. So you got to make the safety miss, Tajay. What does he do to make the safety miss? He jumps over him. And uh, my favorite part about that play, Mike Vrabel talked about in the press conference afterwards, was not the juke move, not the burst to the end zone, the acceleration, the explosiveness. It was, no, when he hurdled that guy, he kept the ball tucked high and tight, which was a coaching point for him after last week when he had that stiff arm on Eddie Jackson. Mike Vrabel said he was holding the ball loose out to his side. Well, this time when he makes the move in the hole to jump over the safety, who was like a first round pick from, from Minnesota last year, Lewis Seen, uh, jumps over the safety, keeps the ball tucked high and tight, and accelerates to the end zone. And then Julius Chestnut with that 55-yard run, I thought he was going to score, apparently hit the fastest speed of any Titans player this preseason or something like that, according to Next Gen Stats. And then a terrific catch in the end zone to score a touchdown from Malik Willis. And he also had a rushing touchdown in this game. Julius Chestnut has by far the most yards from scrimmage of any Titans player in the preseason. He's been extremely productive. He's also been a great special teams player. He's also out there throwing blocks on underneath passes to Mason Kinsey so that Kinsey can pick up the first down. Just to touch on the special teams thing, I mentioned only six players had special teams tackles in this game. Of course, Julius Chestnut was one of them. He was the eighth highest graded player on the special teams unit, according to PFF, for the Titans in this game. Hey, man. Julius Chestnut's your RB3. I don't think it's close. Hassan Haskins, dude isn't good. He's got legal issues. He seems like he's not a good person. I mean, I'm not trying to assume too much, but got the legal off-field issues. Wasn't good running the ball last week. Wasn't healthy enough to play this week. Just give the RB3 spot and all the special teams duties that come with it to Julius Chestnut. And uh, and Tajay Spears is going to be an electric compliment to Derrick Henry this year. I agree with most of what you said. Uh, Spears, that touchdown run was the one play, I think, this preseason that's gotten me out of my chair, right? Like, it was super exciting. It was what you expected from him. It's what you saw from him at Tulane. Dynamic change of pace guy. Going to be a terrific compliment to Henry, as you said. Chestnut, man, what's he doing? Just the same thing he did last year, right? Writing one of the most heartwarming stories of the preseason. I think he made the initial 53 last year, right? And they ended up cutting him eventually at some point, and he was on and off again kind of thing. But... Doing what he did last year, man. Earning every, uh, earning the respect of his teammates. Capturing the hearts, I think, of every Titans fan in the world. 
a few how, a few weeks ago, remember how high we were on Jonathan Ward? Thought he was going to be the RB three. Ward's been good from what I've heard throughout you know practice all that, but now you know is banged up. Really unfortunate, probably and not the great greatest timing to have an injury as you're trying to earn a spot. I think he offers something very similar as Tajay Spears, right? Sort of an undersized scat back, so to speak. So you're probably right. I'm leaning the other way now. Maybe they switch it up because Chestnut's a totally different player from Spears and a totally different player from Ward, at least from a, a physicality standpoint, a running style, you know, more of a punisher. So maybe they do switch it up and go with Chestnut as RB3. I agree. It's got to be the favorite right now. Not only has he played well, again, the injury with, for Ward sort of prevented him from, from capturing more momentum as we get to the, you know, the rat race of the 53-man roster. So looking, trending that way. Yeah, exactly. So we'll see how that shakes out. But I am I am a big fan of those guys. I am a chest nut. <laughs> Say it with your chest. I'm a nut. Chestnut. Okay, that was stupid. But anyway, let's move on here. That's it for the offense. We covered the offense in extreme, almost an hour long detail. Let's get <laughs> the defense quick. a little bit quicker. Uh, <laughs> quick for us. All right, let's hit the defense a little quicker here. I want to start with Tier Tart because dude was nigh unblockable in this game. And after getting tossed out of joint practices early on Thursday for throwing a punch, he was uh, ferocious in this game. Mike Vrabel mentioned, you know, he needed to get more work because he missed a lot of practice that day. So you either work on Saturday or you work on Thursday. Um, and boy, did he work. I mean, he was given the Vikings interior all it could handle. Multiple pressures, a big tackle for loss. Tier Tart's going to be a stud. You and I on this podcast a few weeks ago were like, oh, is Jaden Peavy pushing Tier Tart for a starting role? No, he's not. Uh, not even close. Jaden Peavy has, was the lowest graded Titans defensive player by PFF in this game. He has not had any impact uh, through two preseason games. So maybe like a practice guy that doesn't show up on game day. I don't know what Jaden Peavy's deal is. We all had high hopes for him, but he's not putting it together when the lights come on. So definitely an issue for him there. But Tier Tart, what a monster. This dude's going to be awesome this year. He's talked about working on his pass rush, becoming a better pass rusher specifically this season. And we saw that on Saturday night. Listen, I'll, I'll say this quickly about that, and I'm not I'm not trying to say anything negative towards C.R. Tart, but uh, that's very much by design, I imagine, because every defender I've ever spoken to in a contract year, which he is in once again, says, hmm. sacks get you paid. And he knows that, and he right. wants to get paid. He's not thrilled with the contract that he's on, right, with the, with the whole, um, what, what's it called? Oh, the tender, right? The tender uh, that they placed on him because he was in UDFA. They get away with that, and... Uh, get get him pretty cheaply, right? Probably would have gotten more money if he was a free agent, open market, unrestricted situation, right? So uh, he wants to get paid, put in work as pass rusher. He was outstanding in this game. I'm surprised he played as much as he did. Like, I expected him to look that good. I don't know if Minnesota had their first team O-line in the time. I don't think they did, um, or I don't think many of them played. So he expected him to dominate those backups he did. Vrabel said he, he missed out on a lot of work because he got kicked out of practice. That's why they played him. I was still surprised they played him that much. I almost wondered if it was punishment, in all honesty, for getting kicked out of practice. Well, you know, because he, he's a lock on the 53. He's a lock on the starting lineup, as you said. So I was still surprised to see him play as much as he did. But they're, they're probably on to something with the lack of reps, the ones that he missed in the joint practice. He was unblockable. You said it. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, some other guys were seemingly unblockable in this game, too. Caleb Murphy had two sacks. This is the guy who, what, set the sack record at D2 Ferris State last year. Um, or was it last year or was it for his career that he set the last sack year. record? It was last year. 
Yeah, so super productive guy coming out of college at the D2 level, playing now against you know NFL backups, essentially, but had two sacks. His first one was a really nice move. He hit him with a cross chop on the inside rush. You don't see that no, very you really often. Don't. You see the cross chop going around the edge, but seeing the cross chop to go inside, that was a cool move. Got to the got the quick pressure and the sack. And then his other one was more of like a hustle play, a coverage sack, but showing that motor to always uh, keep keep trying, getting after that quarterback, and eventually he brought him down. So, hey, good job, Caleb Murphy. Haven't seen as much from Thomas Rush, although he uh, Rush did have two hurries in the game. Um, so he didn't get the sacks, but he was actually graded a lot higher on PFF. Um, so those two guys probably competing for maybe one final spot in the outside linebacker slash edge rusher room. Thought they both played well. Rashad Weaver had a sack. So overall, the Titans you know, kind of dominated in the trenches in this game, both on the offensive line and the defensive line. Well, I thought Caleb Murphy looks good. He's taking steps every day in practice, and you're, you're seeing that You're seeing that culminate. You saw it come together against Minnesota, I, I thought. I thought he played really well. Um, do they keep four or five at that position? I, I know most people go five. If they do, then they probably do keep him. And I, I would think the other one is our, our buddy Sam Okwanu, right, friend of the show here. I wouldn't rule right. out that they only keep four at that position because of the versatility they have in Dina Kowatri, right? His ability to play that position. So if they keep four, it, it gets more interesting because it's like, is it Caleb Murphy? Is it Tom at Rush? Is it, is it Sam Okwanu? Which one is it? If they keep five, then probably two of those guys or they look elsewhere. But I thought Caleb Murphy played well. He's getting himself, I think, some momentum towards sticking on the 53. If for whatever reason they, they release him, I think he's a lock for the practice floor. Yeah, I agree with that. So uh, we'll see how that shakes out. Um, other defensive notes here, the inside linebacker situation. So Monty Rice didn't play in this game. Mike Vrabel said he was unavailable to play. He only played seven snaps the week before. I don't know what's going on with Monty Rice, if it's an injury thing or what the deal is, but he needs to play and prove that he belongs even on this roster, let alone you know as a starter on the inside line. But this is one of the biggest shockers, I think, to me. Unexpected moves here is we were penciling in pencil Monty Rice to be a starter you know a few months ago and since the training camp and preseason has started it seems like he is slipping down the down the list Jack Gibbons was the eighth highest graded player on the Titans defense in this game at inside linebacker Chance Campbell did not have as high a grade but I thought he played pretty well as also he shows that sideline to sideline speed even Otis Reese got in the action with a a nice pass breakup a pass deflection uh in pass coverage so there's enough linebackers to go around this this defense that you don't necessarily need Monty Rice. Ben Neiman had a, had a decent game there. He was a pretty highly graded player for the Titans, sixth highest graded player according to PFF um, on the defense in this game. Look, I don't know what the deal is with Monty Rice, but right now it looks like he might be behind Jack Gibbons and Chance Campbell. And uh, honestly, is it crazy to say his roster spot might be in jeopardy? I, I don't know, man. I'm going to be honest. I, I don't have a, a great answer for you here. I wouldn't rule it out. I'll say that. And I know it's probably a cowardly answer, but, you know, he, he's had some issues with injuries, right? Like he had the torn Achilles, which was very, very unfortunate, very serious injury. His rookie year was something else, I think, that that cut his season short, right? If I recall correctly. I think he ended up on season-ending IR as a rookie. Then he had the Achilles as a yeah. sophomore. Now he's back for year three, and um, you've... you've you've got to be available, right? I think Vrabel essentially said that and he, he hasn't been. And I, I feel for him, right? Because what he's returning from is serious with the Achilles. But I, I thought from, you know, what I understand, people I spoke with, the recovery process went really well for him. Like he attacked it and he recovered well. He really did. So uh, not sure what's going on now. I, you know, we're, we're guessing. Is it something, is it a lingering effect from that? Something else bothering him? I, I don't know. But 
you've got to be available, right? And they, they've got a lot of depth there. Like you said, I think Ben Neiman, Luke Gifford, you didn't mention Luke Gifford. I think he's a lock for this 53 because of how great he is on special teams. He's, he's put together a really nice NFL career because how great he is there in the third phase. So I, I don't think they're cutting Luke Gifford. So, and Chance Campbell's a guy, like when, the, when we started the summer, I would not have put him on my 53-man roster projection. I just wouldn't have. And and now you're thinking about it a little bit, right? Like there's a there's a better chance that uh, you feel like he might be on there. So yeah. a lot of you mentioned Otis Reese, right? I, I think he's probably an outside looking in guy, but he did have that great PBU. And Mike Vrabel brought him up unprompted a week and a half ago, right in a press conference, saying he couldn't wait to watch him play because right. how tenacious he is on special teams. So. A lot of guys jockeying for position there. No idea how it's going to play out. They have some very difficult decisions to make. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to shout out a few more guys here on the defensive side of the ball. I'll just name them, and if you want to go in more in depth, feel free. I thought Tyreek Jones played a pretty dang good game. He had one play that really impressed me. I think it was on a third down looking for like a a down-the-sideline shot, and he was in coverage over the top, and he came in, and he almost picked it off. It was a perfect safety rep. From Tyreek Jones. He also led the team in tackles uh, with six in this game. I thought he played really well. Eric Garor, Garor, however you say his name, Eric Garor. We're going to learn how to say it because this guy is going to be a player. He uh, he had four tackles. He was targeted five times in coverage and only allowed two catches for a total of 10 yards. He also showed off the ability to return punts. And yes, he dropped one of them, but he picked it up and still turned it into a nice gain. So it needs to be a little more sure-handed on the punt return thing, but a guy who can play special teams, can play all over the defense in the back end. I really like what we've seen from this UDFA. And then uh, the last guy I want to shout out is Anthony Kendall, who had a really nice open field tackle on a like a little screen play that looked like it could go for a big gain if he didn't run in there. Perfect form tackle, threw the shoulder in at the lower body, wrapped up and brought him to the ground. And Anthony Kendall was also the highest player Highest graded Titans player on special teams per PFF. He had one of those six tackles as well. So I'm, I'm going to shout out those three guys. Um, in addition, Trey Avery was targeted three times, only allowed one catch. So good coverage again from Trey Avery. I think he's a guy that's taking a step forward. He uh, he allowed one catch for 11 yards. And uh, I think he's just been overall good. He, he was the guy that the punt hit um, when the Titans yeah, turned the ball over on that punt return. But... Honestly, not his fault. Even Mike Vrabel said sometimes that just happens. It was a 28-yard punt that bounced back towards the punter. And uh, Kiaris Jackson was in the back yelling, pointing, waving his arms. And sometimes that just happens on 28-yard punts. So unfortunate place for Trey Avery to be when that happened. But I don't blame him for that. And I don't think it is going to affect his chances to make the team. And finally, Amani Marsh, uh, second on the team in tackles with five he did allow two catches for 19 yards, uh, including 16 yards after catch. So not uh, phenomenal on that front. But uh, overall, a good job. He had a pretty high PFF grade in this game. And again, five tackles is always going to get you noticed when, you know, preseason game. There's lots of, you know, rotation going on back there. Not everyone's playing that many snaps. Um, those are the guys I would shout out uh, in the back end for this Titans team. Well, I'm glad you shout out Anthony Kendall. I'm not going to build on the rest too much because I've talked a lot about Marsh and Eric G and, and all that. I've, I've given them praise all, all summer, right? Eric G. I like um, that. <laughs> I, want, I do want to shout out Anthony Kendall, though, because I don't think he's gotten enough love. You were, do you realize, do you know where he played? And I'm not, this isn't quizzing you. Like, no one knows. No one remembers. No, no Titans fan, they're praising him. D3, man. Not no, D2. but I got a ton of. I got a ton of people on Twitter when I tweeted out his uh, his open field tackle telling me where he went. So anyway, go ahead. I love that. <laughs> He's got a lot of fans out there from his Baldwin school. Wallace. You don't see a lot of guys from D. Mason Kinsey's a D3. Was it D3 or was it D2? 
Barry. Kids Barry, College. Barry College. I can't remember, but D3 for Anthony Kendall, man. Almost unheard of. You know what he did at this pro day? People Again, people probably don't remember this. Uh, 39.5-inch vert at the pro day for Anthony Kendall. 11-foot broad. Wow. Barry is D3, by the way. Was D3. That's right. <laughs> 4 4 4 40 for Anthony Kendall at the pro day for D3 mm-hmm. Baldwin Waldo. So impressive. the athletic numbers were there, man. 5'10, 180, 30 inch arms, almost 31. Obviously, a bit of an undersized guy, but Titans got a bunch of these good rook, like UDFA DBs. Like, you'd love to keep them all. You can't, right? They're probably going to keep one. Maybe two would be a surprise, but maybe, but one at least. And all three of them are making cases, man. I, like, we're. Hats off, Titan scouting department. Like, terrific job because all three of them have looked really good. Yeah, I agree. Um, anyway, that does it for the defense. Let's quickly hit the kickers, the injuries, and then we'll get out of here because we're well over an hour now. Uh, the kicker competition. Look, both of these guys kind of suck, okay? Neither one of them, they don't suck, but neither one of them is really separating themselves. Trey Wolf had an extra point bounce off the inside of the upright and still go in, so he gets credit for making it, but... It's an extra point, man. Uh, that That's a little scary. And then Caleb Sudak only kicked one time in this game uh, as far as field goal attempts and extra point attempts go. Had an extra point attempt that barely snuck in there. Um, so both of these guys still kind of struggling. Granted, the Titans didn't miss a kick in this game. So that's actually a positive, I would say. And uh, Trey Wolf did hit a 22-yard field goal. Wow, really far. <laughs> 22 yards there. Um, but it did seem like the Trey Wolf game in this one because he attempted... Two extra points and the one field goal. Caleb Shudak only had a chance on one extra point. Uh, so this kicking competition continues. No clear standout yet. No clear struggler. They're both just kind of meh. And uh, we'll see if they can put it together and if somebody can win the job or if they go call up, you know, Mason Crosby or or, or Ryan Suckup or something. Robbie Gold, I think, is available agency. as well. Um, yeah. All fair points, man. I think meh is the best way to describe it, right? Like, it's weird. Like they're not all going out. They're not going out there and like missing kicks, but they're not making them with conviction either, right? Like they're just sneaking them through the uprights. And you're like, was it Trey Wolf that had the one that went off the upright and, and went through? Like, yeah. Meh, you said it, meh, right? I'm, 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 I've been worried all summer long. I wrote several articles. People were calling me out. Can you stop writing articles on the kicking battle? Now you know why I was writing articles on the kicking battle, right? Like there's there's <laughs> a huge question mark here still, and you're not far away from week one. And yeah, there are a bunch of veterans. Maybe they'll go that route. And a couple of guys, I think Michael Badgley just got cut uh, from another NFL team. That's a guy that's been around. I think he was with the Titans at some point last year and didn't inspire much confidence. So or the year before, but I don't have a ton to add, man. If I was going with one right now, I'd probably lean Trey Wolf just because he's got the bigger leg, and I think that's important. But Same. They might not feel that same way. Maybe they like Caleb Trudak's reliability from within 40 better, right? Like, I, it's really tough to say, but neither of them are really seizing the opportunity right now. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that one. Um, Injury-wise, we mentioned it. Kyle Phillips and Karis Jackson left this game. We don't know their status. Uh, Jalen Duncan was also seen going off with trainers. We don't know his status. We, we'll just have to wait and see how they participate in practice, if they do it all this week, to know. Um because that's, that's all we're going to get from Mike Vrabel's Titans here is we're not going to get updates on the injury front. Uh, finally, in the news, the Titans have signed somebody. 
Yeah, they signed defensive lineman Trayvon Coley. He's been around, uh, been around you know, NFL journeyman, played for several NFL teams. Most interesting point here, I think, is he was with the Titans in 2021 uh, for a short period of time, ended up on season-ending IR in August. But that means he's played for Mike Vrabel before, and he's played for D-line coach Terrell Williams. I think it's very clear the Titans keep a, keep a book on guys they like. Right? They just brought back Kyle Pico a few days ago that was with the yeah. team previously, and now they're bringing back Trayvon Coley. Neither of them obviously, were uh, ran Carthon guys initially, right? Obviously. So that right. tells me that Vrabel and Williams probably have a lot of pool and a lot of say on which of these guys they're bringing in, guys that they obviously liked. This is their third D-lineman signing in the last week, I think, right? Which is interesting. Pico was the first. A guy I don't think we got a chance to cover um, secondly, and I don't even know if he played in this game in all honesty, was Michael Dewumafor. Uh, Dewumafor. Um, the most interesting thing about him is he was with the Houston Texans previously. Uh, Tim Kelly and linebacker coach Bobby King were with the Texans when uh, when Michael was there. So that's another one. Go ahead. He played 17 snaps. He had the highest defensive grade of any Titans player with a 91.0 elite grade. He had two hurries on. Uh, he had two hurries on 10 pass rush snaps. Um and one tackle. So, pretty good game. There you go. <laughs> I mean, three D linemen they brought in the last week. The latest one, again, being Trayvon Coley. To make room on the 90-man roster for him a few days ago, they cut safety A.J. Moore, who you and I at the time <laughs> thought it was very strange they signed him to begin with. Why they signed him over Josh Kalu, I, I hate sounding like a broken record, but I thought that was weird at the time. They've already cut him. They didn't even bring in another safety to replace him, right? They brought in another D lineman in Trayvon Coley. Um it's interesting they keep turning this back-end depth at D-line. As I said, three guys over the last uh, week. I would think there have questions there, right? Like Jaleel Johnson is a veteran who has not played well, in my opinion. Tyler Shelvin is a veteran that has not played well. Naquan Jones hasn't been available enough to try to convince the team to keep him around for a third straight year. They've got questions there. One of those guys might make the team, Pico or Coley, you know, or, 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 yeah. or a Doom 4. So We'll see which one it is. Uh, I lean Pico right now, but I mean, that's by no means set in stone. So, but they're, they're telling you what they think of their back end D line depth. They don't like it because, again, three guys in seven dates. Well, we mentioned last week how poorly graded the defensive tackles were in that game. In this game, Jaden PV, I mentioned lowest graded uh, Titans player on defense, 26.4 grade. Jaleel Johnson, not much better, 39.1. Even Kyle Pico, not much better, 39.3. Um, so these guys are struggling. T. Clay McGlendon Jr. was decent, 58.1 grade on PFF, and then Michael Dwumfor, freaking 91.0 elite grade in his 17 snaps. So maybe they found somebody there. But again, it's a very small sample size and PFF grade of salt, all that. Uh, last bit of news here. The Titans were meant to have joint practices with the New England Patriots this week before their Friday night preseason game. Those practices have been canceled and are... Uh, you know, our thoughts are with the Patriots cornerback Isaiah Bolden, who was uh, taken to the hospital in the middle of the their last preseason game. In fact, they ended the game early because of this scary incident on the field. Uh, Bolden has been released with the hospital. He traveled back to New England with the team, so he is okay. Um, frankly, I don't know why they're canceling the joint practices. Like, I get the mental aspect here of seeing this happen on the field, and especially with everything that happened last season with Demar Hamlin. But honestly, like. Let the kid sit out of practice while he gets healthy. Obviously, that's what you would do. Why do they need to cancel these practices? Maybe it's about preparation for the week or something the Patriots want to do to be extra cautious here. I think that they're taking away an opportunity from their team and from the Titans to like get some really good extra work in against another opponent. And I don't mean to sound insensitive, but 
I don't understand why they canceled the practices, but they have done so. So the Titans will be alone until Friday's preseason game this week. Well, who knows what the mental aspect, right? The I think obviously there was a very scary looking head and neck injury, right? Anytime something affects the spine, yeah. there's obviously a, a, a tremendous amount of concern for that. And uh, not that you're doing this, I'm saying, but uh, these are obviously all, you know, real people, right? So it's like uh, this is a teammate of someone. And I imagine Patriots players were scared shitless uh, when they when they saw sort of the after effect um, of that injury. So uh, I will say, uh, apart from that, I'm actually starting to wonder if joint practices are not that far away from becoming a thing of the past. The Houston Texans mm. earlier today announced they were canceling their joint practices as well. I don't remember which team it was with. Doesn't matter. This is not a Houston Texans podcast. But head coach D'Amico <laughs> Ryans came out and said that, you know what, we're just too banged up. Like, it's just not worth it. Guys are getting hurt. It's, it, we're not going to do it. So I have a feeling we're not that far away from the trend that was joint practices being a thing of the past. Next summer will be one and to monitor. The- do as many teams set them up as they yeah. have this year and the year before. I bet you the answer is no. And the Jets canceled one of two joint practices with who was it? The Bucks or whoever last week. So something weird going on with joint practices, no doubt about it. All right, we have been talking your ear off long enough. If you're still with us, we really appreciate you for sticking with us uh, for over almost an hour fifteen here. Uh, we will be back later this week with a couple of videos. We got a we're gonna do a fifty three man depth chart projection, and we're gonna do a very quick preseason week three preview pod on here as well so or not pod sorry video video only music city audible on youtube subscribe to the channel turn on the bell for notifications give this video a like and drop a comment who played the best do you think in this uh, in this preseason game titans vikings and who are you looking forward to watching most next week we appreciate all the support out there thanks again for listening uh follow justin on twitter at justin m underscore nfl follow me at titans film room until later Y'all stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.